Hey y'all, so it's your girl Rachel Joy, aka The Singing Chef, and you are listening to Chef Diaries, the podcast. So Chef Diaries, the podcast, I'm gonna let y'all know this is a little introduction episode. Um, So I am, uh, if you don't know, I'm Rachel Joy, aka Rachel Uday Jackson, aka The Singing Chef, and I own Hope's Kitchen Eateries Incorporated. Hope's Kitchen Eateries Incorporated is a small corporation based out of Poughkeepsie, New York. We started in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, we have had a long road. I started off selling plates at hair salons, y'all. Plates at hair salons. I specifically, for y'all that might be listening from uh, from Baton Rouge, that little complex over there on Airline Highway, um, where they have all of those big, you know, it's like this complex full of hair salons and nail salons right there by Burlington. That is where I got started. I would go in there and bring gourmet plates. I would have, uh, what, was I, what would I do? I would have like these gourmet salads with, you know, the, the strawberries and the Swiss cheese and the kale and the, 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 the special, you know, feta dill dressing from scratch. And I would have, uh, I would have spaghetti with stuffed meatballs and, you know, oven roasted corn. And I would, you know, I wasn't your regular plate lady. I was a chef trying to just get off the ground. Cause I'm like, look, I'm not about to have no systemic racism keeping me from, you know, achieving my dreams because I knew I was going to get out of Louisiana one day and I knew I was going to have a better life one day. And yes, I can totally say that, uh, becoming a chef took me out of poverty. So, uh, just to give a little more background, um, I grew up in San Gabriel, Louisiana. I was raised by coastal, um, between San Jose, California with my father and, uh, San Gabriel, Louisiana with my mother. Um, I lived in an intergenerational household with my mother. It was my mother, my great-grandfather, and my aunt, with a lot of two cents for my grandmother in Pennsylvania, my grandfather in Oakland. Um, and you, we lived on a uh, family family plot uh, on, on in San Gabriel. Um, it, was, it was historically plantation land. So that uh, was an interesting thing <laughs> that I was being raised on plantation land in Louisiana. And then I would go to California and Silicon Valley and you know, go to the beach. It was just a weird transition. Um, but my family pretty much brought in into my household, uh, with my mother, at least, um, about $42,000 a year. But y'all, if y'all don't know St. Gabriel, I'm gonna tell you right now, St. Gabriel is the crack hood. Okay. St. Gabriel, nothing to play with. There's bloods everywhere. I don't know about no crips. There's there's bloods everywhere. No, I am not promoting bloods and crips, but I'm just telling y'all there is a lot of gang initiations, in San Gabriel, I was the target of many gang initiations. Um, when I was about 11, 12 years old, I would get shot at. <laughs> People would like, you know, I don't know why the older bloods would be like, oh, just do something to Rachel and you can get in. I don't know why, what that was about. But, um, you know, I was fighting crackheads every morning. I was, you know, and we lived on $500 a month because one third of our income was going towards uh, crack alone by itself. So you got at least $1,000 a month going to crack. And then you had, uh, I think it was a thousand dollars, maybe 1500 sometimes going towards, uh, my grandfather's sugar mama, sorry, sugar baby. And then, uh, my mother, um, she was, she is a narcissist and she also is an alcoholic as well as untreated bipolar. So she would just use her child support money and her 
other money to because uh, she didn't really work um she just did that on her little crackhead adventures <laughs> well she wasn't really a crackhead she's more of a cokehead she drank and she popped pills and she did coke and um yeah she'd do that for her little cokehead adventure she thought she was gonna be a cpa you know she's like i'm gonna take the cpa exam so she spent all her child support money on uh, CPA preparation, knowing good and well she was never going to take that CPA exam. Or she did it for her little crackhead adventures. If she wanted a new wig, she bought a new wig. If she wanted accessories for her wig, she would buy accessories. If she wanted some expensive weave from the Hair Connection up in, uh, and it's a store literally called the Hair Connection on Florida Boulevard, um, she would go do that. And, uh, you know, growing up, I was always a talented cook. I was a talented chef. And I remember I was maybe like about 10 years old and I had this idea that I wanted to sell these uh, cinnamon spiced apples uh, for, I don't know, I think it was $10 a piece or something like that. And it was some innovative, uh, intricate cut apple. It wasn't like a regular apple. And I was like, I, I can make money off of this. I was doing that at like 10, you know, and um and there's there's so much more that I want I won't even cover right now in this episode. But I was always a diamond in the rough. I was talented with cooking, talented with singing, talented with writing, talented with dancing. And uh, you know, when I got to be around uh, 21 years old, I was determined to uh, you know allow cooking and singing and the arts to deliver me from poverty. You know, I was I wanted God to to use my talents to help me get out of poverty because it wasn't nothing nice. We didn't have so y'all up in Poughkeepsie, y'all got pantries, okay? We had commodities. And everybody up in San Gabriel and everybody who come from those little small towns up in Louisiana, y'all know what the difference between commodities and pantries. See in a pantry you get actual food. You know, you might get some actual mac and cheese. You, you know, y'all in Poughkeepsie, y'all spoil. Y'all, y'all got meat, y'all got steak, y'all got like uh, Hannaford, and you know, y'all got fresh olive oil baguettes. Y'all got all kind of stuff up here. I grew up with commodities. Commodities, you can't even get no powdered milk. What you got? You got some spam, and you got some old kidney beans. And if you were fortunate enough, you got two granola bars. That's it. That's it. And you had to survive the whole month off of that. So my food sources, this is why I got so passionate on food policy. My food sources were pretty much, um, what you call it? My food sources were the Dixie Cub Lady, which if y'all don't know the Dixie Cub, see, because I'm in the North right now. <laughs> see, y'all don't know the terminology I'm using. Y'all in the South, y'all know what the Dixie Cub Lady is. For y'all who don't know what the Dixie Cub Lady is, the Dixie Cub Lady is, uh, it's kind of like the candy lady in the hood that pretty much uh, uh, raises money for her kids by selling treats to the neighborhood kids. But the Dixie Cup lady is specific. See, the Dixie Cup lady, she take Kool-Aid, right? And she put in the cheap 50 cent cups and she freeze it. And uh, she sell the frozen Kool-Aid and call, we call it Dixie Cups. Cause <laughs> if we say Dixie, we don't say Dixie, we say Dixie Cup. <laughs> That's how you say it, Dixie Cup. You know, say would be Dixie Cup. <laughs> So we had the Dixie Cup lady, and because the uh, the cups were actually by Dixie, the brand Dixie, and you know it's the cheap thin ones, right? So I survived off frozen Kool Aid, uh, jalapeno Cheetos, hot Cheetos uh, from Dixie Cup lady, and then uh, the kidney beans and all that stuff from uh, from commodities. And then uh, what was it? We had an old mom and pop store we call Wayne. Now I think the official name is uh, 
St. Gabriel Food and Grocery. But, you know, Wayne was the owner and his wife, Teresa, um, you know, and uh, his kids worked there. And, and Wayne put his, I think, put his child through school. Don't quote me on that. Wayne, don't get mad at me if you hear this and I'm spreading things that ain't true. I don't know. You know, I wasn't in y'all business like that. But um, yeah, pretty much my family was completely dependent on Wayne for most of our food. But here's the thing. So when you went to Wayne, Wayne did not have the nutritious food, first of all. I survived off of ham and cheese sandwiches, jalapeno Cheetos from there, um, and then also uh, boudin sandwiches, which if y'all don't know what boudin is, boudin is made out of either pork, shrimp, or crawfish, and you make sausage out of it. And I used to have the boudin sandwich with cheese and um, Lay's potato chips and uh, Arizona tea. I drank a lot of Arizona tea growing up, (laughs) a lot, you know? Um, But my grandfather had a credit line account with Wayne where we would take out, I don't know, maybe 800, 500 to $1,000 worth of food uh, and groceries a month from Wayne. And so we were constantly in debt just to feed ourselves. So I was completely financially abandoned growing up. Um, I, Cause imagine how I feel, <laughs> you know, like I'm a little kid and you know, we, we have a regular, you know, enough to get by as a, as a family of four. Um, but I'm wearing hand-me-down clothes from other crack houses, you know, cause we lived in a fancy crack house, you know, I mean, we, <sighs> I mean, we had so many infestations. You know, we had a roach infestation, uh, a rat infestation, spider infestation, termite infestation, uh, fly infestation one summer. Um, yeah, and then on top of that, we had the mosquitoes and the cicadas. <laughs> so, so, and you know, it was so bad. I know the septic tank was never cleaned out. So. We had um, issues with uh, with it backing up in the in the yard, and um, if that was an issue, the toilet would sometimes uh, almost fall through the floor um, because the actual floor was so weak and so old that when you sit on the toilet, you could fall right through under the house. Um, so, like, just give you an example of what the culinary world got me out of. You know, like people think people don't look you know, people don't look to the culinary world as a way to escape poverty. And it can because, and I understand it because the culinary world, you know, um, it pretty much, um, it's, it is a lot of low wages. It is low wages and it is, um, a lot of harsh treatment, but I think it's because, uh, black and brown people are systemically, excluded from the ex- executive ex- <clears throat> executive administrative roles and knowing uh, exactly what they can do. They don't know about the role they can play with the food suppliers other than agriculture. They don't know how they can work in the investment roles. They don't know, they, and, they're, and we're excluded from being sous chefs and executive chefs and district chefs and uh, you know, I'm I'm a president of Hope's Kitchen Eateries Incorporated. But like I said, I started off as a plate lady. You know, I mean, you know, and I worked my way up. And I put up with so much disrespect. Oh, I remember somebody called me a cake lady one time. No, and I wasn't no cake lady. I had a whole restaurant on the waiter app and they called me a cake lady. I put up with so many microaggressions. But my restaurant, as well as other success of Hope's Kitchen Eateries, um, because in the first year we had... 54% ROI, which you get in the, into the 
<laughs> you get into like the 50s, you know, because most people do like a 10 to 12% ROI. I was in the 50s within my first year. Um, and I had, I developed a portfolio. I won awards from the CIA and it was enough for the CIA to give me almost a full scholarship to, um, to come to their school. So I started out, you know, it, it, it was just enough to really, you know, and I saved money. I saved money. Um, I saved money for, you know, to leave, you know, and honestly it was a miracle y'all. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I got to tell y'all, I didn't know that money was there. I was going to go to the bank to get a loan. And they told me, Hey, you have $3,200 in a bank. And I was like, how? I thought I, I thought I had closed my accounts here. And they were like, no, your accounts have been open since last year. And you'd be getting regular deposits from, uh, from, I don't even know. I think it was Izzo's illegal burrito. But the, the, and the thing about it is I worked at Izzo's, but it wasn't until like, this was 2018. And these deposits from Izzo's were coming from 2017. So that was such a miracle because Izzo's didn't have my banking information until I think it was March of 2018. And I was getting deposits from them for, uh, from October, 2017. So God totally had a plan. He's like, look, you're not staying in Louisiana, you know, and I, you know, <laughs> talking about racism, like I was not submissive whatsoever to the, uh, the way that white people treat black people in Louisiana. And I heard about it <laughs> and I was threatened to be fired so hard by the higher ups because I was just not willing to act like a slave. And it was at that job that I was told by somebody who was connected to St. Gabriel now. So she knew me from high school and, you know, I was saying, yeah, I got accepted to the CIA. I don't know how I'm going to go. I don't know how I'm going to get out there, but I got to get out there. I got to get out of here. And she straight up told me, well, you got that opportunity. Oh, you better, you better try because most of us don't get a chance to get out, you know, and anybody coming from Louisiana, good, no, good and well that people do not get to leave. We do not get to leave. It is systemically set up for black people to be homeless for black people to depend on food stamps, for black people to even be kicked, to be even be excluded from food stamps, even though we need the food stamps in Louisiana, for black people to be on Medicaid, for black people to go to the pantries. You know, it's systemically set up to where we we can we are in absolute total poverty no matter what is going on, unless you work for the state of Louisiana. Um, and then you gotta know somebody to do that. Or if you gotta some kind of word of mouth. But even still, if you're black, you're not going to make more than $11 an hour if, and you got to work for years to get that in Louisiana. So I knew I had no future there. And I had somebody have the nerve to tell me, oh, well, you know, Poughkeepsie's Louisiana of New York. Oh, the, the area of Main Street in, 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 in Poughkeepsie is like Louisiana of Poughkeepsie. And I'm like, bruh, you're so ignorant. Like, you don't even know, like, the, the it's not even a food desert. It's just... It's a living hell. It is a living hell. Like imagine you don't know what clothes you you need to wear for the day. The weather's constantly changing. Um, you can get lynched anywhere at any time. Um, you know, LSU is basically a 1950s cult, <laughs> you know, um, and it, it, it's, it's just hell. It's hell on earth, you know, especially if you're black. 
you know, and no one wants to be progressive. No one wants to do anything different. Everyone wants to sit in their stuff and rot. And most of the time, if you get a chance to leave, you do not go back. You do, and, and the people from my hood, they don't want nothing to do with me. I tried to reach back out and, and get and pay it forward and they didn't want to hear from me because they were jealous. They were mad that I was able to get out and go really far away and they weren't. And some of them had made attempts. Some I, I know one girl, she got a real estate license. She she really didn't get out. She she's still connected. I know another girl, she got her uh degree from UL. You know, she ended up getting pregnant by some dude I used to date, and uh, you know, she's stuck down there now with baby mama drama. Um, I hear about people dying, you know, people my age dying. One girl that I know died from COVID that I went to high school with and another dude got shot um, a couple years ago. So it's just no future. It's just no future, bro. Like where like, the culinary world really served, it, it served as a gateway to get me out of poverty and it's building my retirement. And it's and I would not have learned financial literacy um, if it wasn't for this path of culinary. And now I have a diversified uh, mutual fund portfolio, and I'm getting into some single stocks. So not really depending on single stocks. Um, I you know I have my hand in you know in foreign investments in Nigeria. Um, shout out to NGX, uh, NGX Limited. That's the Nigerian stock market people that. Um, that I subscribe to and that I uh, go to their, I go to their Q and A's and things like that. Um, but yeah, culinary did all that. Culinary has opened doors. Now, has there been resistance? Yes. Has there been disrespect? Yes. Has there been narcissistic abuse? Yes. Um, but I have this never say die mentality. And that is what you gotta have. You gotta have this never say die mentality. You gotta have uh, the ability to regulate your emotions as well because the culinary industry is, is, is home, unfortunately, for people who don't know how to regulate their emotions. And that's part of why they're stuck, both white and black, why they're stuck um, in these low wage jobs. Um, and you know, it's funny, I went to CIA and you know, I was treated pretty bad. I had I had a really political experience <laughs> at CIA. You know, I'll talk about that later. But um, you know, and I ended up going to this this uh, ACF after CIA, and that was even more political. And then I became a treasurer for and a, and, a, and a campaign advisor for a, 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 a Dutchess County legislator. Um, so I can't I can't avoid uh, politics. And now I'm in food politics. You know, <laughs> so so it is what it is. Um, but you know. It, you know, my, my point is the culinary world is, it has so much to offer more than being a chef. There's Being a chef is an introduction to a whole world of, you know, agriculture policy and immigration reform policy and, and, and food shortage prices and, and, and culinary science and uh, applied food studies and and you can be a culinary media personality. You don't have to get on Food Network. And then by the way, and then by the way, 
CIA didn't teach me nothing about being a culinary media personality. They, CIA hadn't gave me no, they, they would put Ann Burrell up like, oh, she's on Food Network. Look what we did for her. Y'all ain't do that for her. I will straight up tell them Rachel Joy, AKA Rachel Uday Jackson, AKA the singing chef said that Aunt, y'all, the CIA had nothing to do with Ann Burrell's success, period. Period. Nothing to do with it. Because I tell you right now, I have connections to Food Network magazine now that CIA didn't give me. I have connections to Forbes magazine now that CIA didn't give me. And CIA was never going to give me. CIA was going to teach me about Escoffier and uh, on food and cooking and Mediterranean cuisine and, you know, so on and so forth, you know, and about a whole lot of clarified butter and a whole, and I, and I don't get me wrong, I've, I've eaten some fantastic food at the CIA. I had Egyptian split pea soup with a, 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 a baked salmon with basil pesto sauce um, with brown rice and, uh, panna cotta with grapes and little bitty little little bitty sweetbread in, in in the panna cotta i've had beautiful delicate passionate food at the cia <laughs> okay like i love the food at cia now granted did i have a lot of stomach trouble at the cia yeah because their food is mad unhealthy it's filled with butter it's filled with in fact it's filled with corn oil it's and corn oil is made from industrial corn do you know that the cleaning products that you use, for instance, uh, the, the natural ones, read the ingredients. If it says made from corn, it's made from industrial corn. The same corn that is fed to cows that die within six months to get those burger patties that you eat at McDonald's. This corn is not made for human consumption. And that is why it is converted to a cleaning product. Now, does it clean? Oh yeah, it clean, but think about it. You're eating a cleaning product. It's not the other way around. It's not real food being converted to a cleaning product. It's, you're eating a cleaning product. And you're also eating a texturizer. When cows eat the, the, eat the industrial corn, um, that the corn oil comes from and so on and so forth and the high fructose corn syrup and all that, um, you know, It, 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 it changes the texture of the meat. Um, cows have a hard time digesting it. It's like they're slowly committing suicide by eating this corn. And that same corn, like I said, is converted to the corn oil that's used at CIA. And that same corn is also used in high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is used in a, in a lot of these uh, dollar sodas that you see at the corner store in poor neighborhoods, black and brown neighborhoods, which is set up uh, by, um, I think it's, what is it? It's, it's not the local grocers, but the people that decide because there are pop, there are food policy meetings that are that are you know that are had with local politicians and, and with the local grocers to decide what do we want to sell in what neighborhood. So systemically, they place the high fructose corn syrup, the, like the the honey buns and the little Debbie cakes and the the grape soda and. Uh, um, you know, all these little whatever, you know, that got corn syrup, you know, and then some of y'all, y'all just be, look, I went to, I went to stop and shop recently, like maybe about a month ago. And some person had their cart filled with, you know, soda and Doritos and, you know, all this junk food. And I'm like, uh, like 
you are asking to have diabetes. <laughs> and, you know, and it's true, you know, um, corn oil, high fructose corn syrup, and industrial corn in general um, does convert straight to, um, to sugar. And it spikes the insulin so high, which produces uh, higher glucose levels, which if from the, from, if from the pancreas, and that goes into the bloodstream. And if that happens often enough, systemically, you're going to have a community filled with diabetes. And if systemically, you're, you're, um, these, these particular individuals are also affected by a racial wealth gap where they cannot afford good cars, they have to take trans, uh, a public transportation, more than likely they're going to go to a local clinic, you know? And mind you, Louisiana, we had Earl K. Long, okay? <laughs> Y'all spoiled in New York. Y'all got actual, like, clinics here. You know what I'm saying? Like, back in Louisiana, we had Earl K. Long, okay? Earl, and Earl K. Long was so bad, got torn down. And then we had, like, the little... The LSU medical students trying to work on us, child. Uh-uh. So, so many, so, like I remember, I, I went to the to the to the LSU uh, uh, med students thing or whatever, and because I had some type of infection when I was a kid, and I was stuck so much in the wrong places with an IV that I had scar tissue for I want to say the next. Let's see, I was fourteen. I had scar tissue until a about 25, 24, 25. So you talk about 10, 11 years of scar tissue in my arm. That's how bad the services were by these LSU students <laughs> and by Earl K. Long and by these county, you know, services in Louisiana. Oh, bruh, like y'all spoiled. <laughs> like, y'all New York spoiled. I don't care nobody say on my platform, look, I'm gonna say right now, y'all spoiled. Y'all are so spoiled. Y'all are so fortunate. And y'all be running down to the South like it's so much better. You got it made up here. You got it made. I ran up here. I told Instagram I was a runaway slave. <laughs> my first video when I got to New York, I was like, look, y'all, I'm a runaway slave. Oh yeah. Because them white folks wanted me in Louisiana. They wanted me there. Mm-mm. Nah, nah. Nah, nah. And the culinary industry was, was used as a catalyst for my personal social, economic, and political change. I would have never learned about investing. I would have never started investing for retirement at 26. I'm now 28. I would have never... Um, built, I would have never had this podcast. I would have never built an army of intellectual property. <laughs> you know, I would have never stacked and worked my way out of just financial perishing. Don't you know, because of the culinary industry, when I was 20, 26, around my 27th birthday, I worked so hard that I paid off so much debt that I shot up my credit score 154 points. Culinary did that. Because I I am just getting into the singing, okay? I just released my first unofficial single and my new album, Falling Falling Out of Love, sorry, Falling Out of Love with a Narcissist will be coming out next year on July 1st. Um, So I'm just not even, I'm just not, and you know, like, Y'all don't understand. Like, 
I can't even pack it on this episode. So I want to keep this episode to 30 minutes. But if you don't get anything from this episode other than this, I want you I want your great takeaway. So I like to do a great takeaway after every episode. The culinary industry can be used as a catalyst for social, economic, and political equality. And it can be used to uh, to get yourself out of poverty and get on a path economically that goes somewhere. You just have to work smart and don't work hard. You have to know the right people. You have to be strategic. And you have to really be woke. Stay woke. Because there's a lot of dream selling. And there's a lot of token Negroes and a lot of you know, anarchists and blackface um, in the culinary industry. But if you're woke and, you know, especially for my Christians out there, if you, if you're believing in Jesus to, uh, to use your gifts and your talents to take you to better places and it is, you know, and you're working side by side with the Holy Spirit in that, in that way, um, you're going to make it, you're going to make it, you're going to make it. The culinary industry doesn't have to end in breaking your back and not having a savings and uh, and living in, you know, and renting the rest of your life and, you know, not having enough to pay your, 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 your debt down. And you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to rely on, you know, uh, uh, restaurant coalitions to fight for your rights. You can fight for your own rights. You can fight for your own rights. In fact, I'm going to link it in this episode. I have a couple videos on my YouTube. It's Rachel Uday Jackson on YouTube. Um, And I have uh, a video called Five Things That Culinary School Won't Teach You. Not can't, won't teach you. And that is a good place to start. It will give you tools to give yourself some direction um, to, you know, to do what you need to do. So I'm going to wrap this up. This has been your girl, Rachel Joy, and I'm so happy you guys gave me this opportunity to speak to y'all. This has been the Chef Diaries podcast. I'll see you later.